Hey guys, uh, welcome to episode 8 of Grad Life Podcast. I'm delighted and very excited to have with me today Ed Knapper, who uh, works in a very different team at Google, but um, very interestingly was at Goldman Sachs before coming to Google. Are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself, Ed, and, and what you did in uni? Yeah, uh, g'day Mark, thanks mate for having me. It's, uh, it's a real privilege to be here and I'm excited to chat to you and the listeners. I'm psyched. Um, hopefully I've got some interesting insights, but um, yeah, mate, so I did, uh, after school, I did commerce law at Sydney Uni, so um, basically that's a commerce degree and a law degree, but you do it at the same time, so they take one year off the total, so it's a five-year degree rather than a six-year, two degree. Yeah, so it's double time, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so yeah, I did that for five years. Um, pretty early on, I was pretty confident that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I come from a family of lawyers. My dad's a lawyer, my sister's a lawyer, my right. godmother's a lawyer. And I thought, you know, how am I going to stand out in a family of lawyers if, I, <laughs> if I'm just another one? Uh, so pretty early on, I decided I wanted to kind of follow the finance route a little bit more um, because I thought, you know, knowing nothing, right? I enjoyed economics at high school. Um, I didn't like maths, but I liked economics. And so I thought, you know, finance, there's the propensity for it to be maths-based, but you can also do kind of economics strategy. I didn't really know. I thought it sounded interesting. Yeah. Um, and I thought you could make a bit of coin doing it yeah, as well. Yeah, surely the money was a bit yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I thought, let's do, let's, do some, um, let's do some finance. So I did a finance major in my commerce degree. Um, I did okay, <laughs> like nothing special in that. Um, and then I applied for a summer job at Goldman's in investment banking in Sydney for the summer, like before my last year of uni. Um, I did, and I, you know, thankfully I got that one which was a whole interesting, I don't know if we want to go into that, but that was just a whole interesting process in and of itself. Of the actual recruitment? The recruitment process, mate, yeah. People talk about getting a job at Google's hard. Um, bank, investment banking's much, much, much harder. Really? Yeah, so I think I had, um, four, I think I had 10 interviews um, for a summer job, yeah. Um, including one, re- one Saturday where you go in and they have five interviews back to back and then in like a, you know, a reasoning IQ test as well. And that was at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning. No way. The day after they take you out till 2 a.m. the night before um, for like a drinks thing. Do they deliberately test yeah. that ability? Man, oh so at the time I didn't realise it, but I realise now that the reason you do that is because in investment banking you work really long hours, so you want to see how people are Performing when the they're tired. Yeah. yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, and I'm like, Google would never do that to people. It's too nice. And to the layperson there, what does Mm. an investment banker actually do? Other than, you know, they hear all this stuff. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Investment banking has in its, I guess, in the area I worked, which is called mergers and acquisitions or M&A, and that's the kind of, I guess, traditional investment banking area, has very little to do with banking. Um, What you are is um, an advisor to a company, well, usually a company or an individual, um, on whether it should basically buy uh, another company or sell one of its own divisions or itself. Yeah. So you're kind of like a real estate agent for companies is one way to think about yeah. it. In terms of what you actually do, it's similar, I, I guess, to other professional service firms like lawyers and accountants and um, uh, management consultants in that you're employed by a firm to give them advice um, on what they should do. Yeah. And in this instance, it's specifically around, um, you know, business acquisitions. Or buying sales, other companies. Buying, buying other companies. Them. Yeah, buying a stake in them, buying the whole company. Taking them public, right? Taking them public yeah. in an IPO. 
Um, but, and then you also have, so M&A is specifically around that part. Then there's also um, two other areas that are really related to M&A that are still part of the investment banking umbrella. And one of those would be called equity capital markets. And that's around issuing shares in a business, um, either to fund an acquisition or as an IPO to take them public. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is called debt capital markets. And so that's where you lend, uh, you act more like a bank in that you're lending a company money or you're helping that company raise money from debt markets from other banks and you're advising them in that process. Yeah, so that's the, that's the skinny on investment banking for, for any kind of lay people out there. The jobs are very in, they're very sought after, they're very in demand because they pay extremely well. They probably pay better than any other job out there. In terms of um, Ma- as it, maybe as like a first year out of uni. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I, that I'd would like be, be up there. Yeah. That would be definite, right? Like banking and hedge funds, basically, which are almost impossible to get into. Well, I think I think <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, you read about um, <laughs> investment bankers always are envious of people in private equity, yeah. and then people in private equity are, are envious of guys in hedge funds, huh. yeah. and that's the sort of pecking order. Um, but to you know. The rest of us normal people, it's all kind of up in that rarefied yeah. air of crazy salaries. Yeah, mad money, extremely long hours, and a massively imbalanced life. Yeah, so that's the thing though. You um, and I think what's really interesting about banking is they're completely upfront about that. They don't sell you the dream of doing yeah. of having work life balance. They kind of tell you, especially and as a junior, you're going to work the worst hours, um, and they're pretty upfront that you're basically at their beck and call. 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week. Um, and it really just depends on your team. Like I was fortunate that I had um, a manager who was you know, in the realm of investment banking, you know, supportive and friendly, and he didn't want us to work crazy long hours when yeah. we didn't have to. But equally, if we were working on a transaction and something needed to get done, he didn't care if you worked seven days straight without going home. Yeah. So you were there for what? You were in Goldies. You did the internship, you finished uni, and then you went back for what, two or three years? Yeah, I went back for about, uh, yeah, just over two years. Two years, right. I went back. And what, so what, what was the day-to-day like in there? How did it evolve over the three years? So yeah, like, couple, first couple of months you're doing, you're working 25 hours a day, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, over that, really, over that two-year period, my sort of hours didn't really change. Right. Because I, I, my job didn't change, in that I was still an analyst, doing the same job what happened was I kind of had less and less oversight from people more senior than me as I got more as I was there longer and they were confident that I wasn't going to fuck it up basically Um, sorry I don't know if I can say that oh you're okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah so working long hours so I think on for me on average a day would be 9am till midnight that would be basically average so we call that the overs unders line it's a good day if you finish before midnight and it's a bad day if you finish after midnight (laughs) okay um good guy so long hours and when you start what you're really doing is doing the boring work that the other analysts don't want to do yeah and so that'll be like data crunching pulling you know large large pieces of data on you know share price information or whatever it is and just kind of not doing any analysis at all but really just gathering information to give to someone else to think about what that means all on like excel and stuff 
Yeah, big Excel. So Excel. So basically, as an analyst, your job is Excel and PowerPoint. Yeah. You make you make spreadsheets and then you make charts to go in a in a, um, <laughs> oh in a presentation for fifteen hours a day. And what was the weekend work schedule like? Because I know some yeah. of you guys work weekends. Yeah. So I used. To, I think when I <laughs> when I actually started, I got which was a good thing. I got put straight onto a transaction, but that actually meant I worked forty nine days straight from my first day. No so way. I didn't have a day off. For um oh for seven God. weeks after starting, and that doesn't mean every single day was twenty hours, but yeah. um usually on the weekends, um if you don't if you're not going to work more than six hours, you wouldn't go in. You just do it at home. Yeah. Um. So I was working more than six hours That's on nuts. those weekends. That is not. So someone's doing that, and I'm looking at it from the outside in. Like yeah. I was in the trading floor in a bank, which is yeah. nothing like that. Like still long yeah. hours at times, but nothing like that. Yeah. I was thinking, what the hell drives these people to do that? Like, what are you doing? What is actually in your head at that time? Do you think? Yeah, I, I um, I think it's interesting because um, I think I used to look down at the guys on the trading floor and think I missed a trick there. They um, yeah. they seem to have a much more sort of fun and more balanced life. But I know you guys, you still work, you know, on average, they'd work seven till seven, so it's still a 12 yeah, hour day. Yeah, still working on hard hours. Uh, and a really stressful job with Australia. Exactly, well. and I think I think that's that's the difference in banking. You have more time to, I guess, think about stuff. Yeah. Um, and you're working hard, but you're kind of a bit more um, sort of taking your time, thinking about where you want to go, you know, you're attempting to be strategic, yeah. right? Um, I think trading, it's really fast paced. So if you get off on um, making decisions really quickly, quick fire, high excitement, yeah. I feel like you're more likely to enjoy trading. Yeah. Whereas I think if you're more analytical and you kind of want to think about things a little bit more, um, and also to be honest, you're a bit worried that you're, mistake, you're going to make mistakes, investment banking like M&A is probably yeah. better because if I made a mistake, there were three people checking my work Whereas if you're a trader, obviously you when you you can lose money for the bank, right? Yeah. And it's like that's a quick way to get fired. Yeah. And so I think the risk appetite is the other one. I think yeah, in general traders have a like a higher risk tolerance, and investment bankers have a lower risk yeah. tolerance. Um, so what that stage you presumably would have wanted to be an executive director, or whatever the top rank was, like a partner. Um, yeah. So I think I I I generally have a view that. Um, I don't know what I want to be doing more than two years in the future and right. often only more than one year. So I went into banking and everyone warned me, it's going to suck, they're going to consume your life, just be careful. And so I went in there, also I guess I hadn't grown up as a little kid saying, I want to be an investment banker, that's all I yeah. ever wanted to do. And so I guess I didn't have an emotional attachment to it. But what I said to myself starting was, I'm going to do this for at least two years because otherwise I'm squandering an opportunity and I might really like it. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to give myself every opportunity to find out that I do like it, um, but equally, I'm not going to decide that I'm going to be here for life. So if it does suck, I can't. Because I, I, I also saw people who'd been there, sort of, eight to ten years, and that's at the point where they should be coming. You know what what we called it, Goldman's a, a managing director, right. so kind of like a partner in a law firm, yeah. you know, running your own team, and you're at that point where you should like you you kind of need to get promoted, otherwise they haven't got a job for you anymore. Yeah. And I saw guys at that level and I realized, you know, they've given up 10 years of their life. Maybe they're not going to make it. They've had, you know, probably given up a lot of their personal life. And also, it's really hard for them to find a new job that's going to pay anywhere like what they anywhere. were getting paid. Yeah. Because, you know, the salaries are completely out of whack with what you get in the corporate world or if, you know, you started your own business, anything like that. Yeah. 
Um, and I just thought they just looked really lost. And so there, there definitely is a sense when you're in there that the best time to leave is either like after two years or four years. Right, okay. And, and the longer you stay, the harder it is to leave. Yeah. Because you can't give up, your lifestyle is adjusted to your salary. Yeah. Um, and you're also just less employable anywhere else because you're getting more and more specialised and your salary expectations are really high. So the number of people who could pay that yeah. rapidly diminishes. I saw a lot of people as well get, um, they'd say, I'm going to leave next year. And then they, yeah. get, then they get the bonus and they're like, okay, yeah, yeah one more bonus and I'm out of here. And yeah. then like, you know, eight years on, they're still there just picking up the bonus. They kind of, you get onto the wheel. Exactly. And, and it's, it's like crack, right? Like people... Yeah. They don't realise, but they get addicted to it. And they're very clever in that they don't pay you your bonus at the time at which it's due. So your bonus at Goldman's would be a January to December 12-month period, but they wouldn't pay your bonus till the end of February. Yeah. And by then, you're like, well, I've already done another two months. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll just, you know, oh, I'm right. giving up the two months that I've accrued worth a bonus for next year. And they don't realise that what you're actually giving up is 10 years of your life. Yeah. So you have to cut the cord at some point. Yeah, you're a slave if to you, it. Unless you love the work. And, you know, there were people there, you know, my boss, he just loved it. He got off on doing deals. He found it exciting. Um, he loved the work, was interested by it, stimulated it. And for him, it was worth it. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, I got a question, what the rest of your life is like if you're prepared to give up 20 hours a day at work with a bunch of people you don't know who don't care about you and you know ultimately they want you to do well but if you don't they'll cut you off yeah in a second i kind of will question well how could that possibly be fulfilling as having a real life but yeah. that's just my own values right yeah same and I, I kind of realized that as well um i've got a friend who does it and there's never a time that he's happier than when he's like feeling absolutely slammed at work. Right. <laughs> he must be a bit of a maybe he's a bit of a sadist. But they're, yeah, like they're, they are saying it's a masochist. Yeah. Like that's a I, I, are most of them like that. Like, yeah, what's the I don't deal? think that, I don't think that they like it, but I think people they start they they kind of have this mistake of um, thinking that there's a bit of honour in getting smashed at work, and it, and it kind of comes from the culture of a place where when you work in a place where they tell you up front they're going to work you hard. And everyone else there, what they talk about is how either how much how hard you work or how much you get paid. Yeah, that's it. That's all there is to talk about, right? And that's not all there is to talk about, but that's how you measure success yeah. as a, as a junior. Um, and so people kind of take it as a badge of honour to have done an all nighter, yeah. and they're still there in the same suit and they're you know deep in the weeds of an Excel spreadsheet that no one's ever going to look at or care about. <laughs> and they've been, they think that they because I, I guess. If you have given up so much, you have to be getting something out of it. And what they think they're getting out of it is the respect of their, their co-workers and they're seen as a really hard worker. So when they're not getting worked hard, they actually just sit around and pretend they're working hard yeah. so that people don't lose that respect that they yeah. think they have from working hard. And it's it's actually, like, psychotic. <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> Some guy is just there, like, chest out, delighted with himself. He's like, yeah, I was slamming this spreadsheet last night. Correct. Dude, I was hanging out with my girlfriend, then I read a book. And yeah, nice. exactly. <laughs> or I just, you know, was sitting around, you know, watching TV. Like yeah, anything. hanging out with the lads, whatever. That's exactly. so fun. And I think if you need that external validation, you know, it's a great way to do it because they'll give you as much work as yeah. you want and they'll work you to death and yeah. you can feel really great about yourself. Yeah, and then they'll, you know, there's no kind of And then you'll have a breakdown and they'll get rid of you. 
And like I, I'm sounding ne- like kind of negative about it. Like I don't mean that. I think there are you know people there who genuinely love the work, find it interesting, and feel like they're making a difference for their clients. And you know for them that's great. Though I think there's a, a big incentive for the senior guys to make the junior guys think that hard work or working long hours is the same thing as being good at your job. Yeah. Because the senior guys want you to work hard because they're, they're squeezing more value out of you, Yeah. right? And if they make you want to work hard by convincing you that working hard is the same as doing a good job, well, they've won, right? It's getting more buying. Because it's cheap labor for them as well. Yeah, exactly. And like, then what happens is, the, you know, the, the inmates are controlling themselves. You don't, need, <laughs> you don't need guards there to make sure that they're doing the work because they, <coughs> they self-regulate. That's so funny. So you were doing that and then you left. How did what you want out of your career evolve or change? Yeah, and I think, um, I think that what I, (laughs) I learned at Goldman's, and I kind of had been told this my whole life, and I, I guess intellectually maybe knew it in inverted commas, but I didn't emotionally realize what it meant was that, you know, money is not going to make you happy. Yeah, and so, I kind of didn't ever think that it would make me happy, but I thought that you know, the pursuit of a good career or money is how you measure a good career. Mm. And so the pursuit of money is one thing. And I I kind of realized that that's only part of the equation. And I know I've I've sort of spoken to you about this before. And I think if you think of yourself as a business and whenever you work for someone who is not yourself, if you're ever working in a a sort of salary job or or a job for anyone else, you are a business that sells that other business your time. Yeah. And what they give you in return for your time is money and also kind of stimulation. Because I think if we didn't do any work, we'd probably get really bored. Yeah. For a while, it'd be great. But after, you know, yeah. however long it is, you'd, get, you'd get bored. Times. And everyone has different times and different, you know, some people go crazy after a week. I've gone nuts after a week. Yeah. yeah. And other people could do six years without doing it. But eventually you need some sort of stimulation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, so I think... I was kind of focusing on, you know, what they're giving me is money and stimulation, mm. but I wasn't thinking about the cost to me. So the marginal cost of that margin of that money and stimulation was my time. And I guess what I learned at Goldman's was to value my time more yeah. than I did perhaps going in. And I don't at all regret it. I actually enjoyed Goldman's. It taught me so much. I worked with some really smart people, um, but it also you know, gave me insights into things which I'd only ever kind of read about. Like you read people saying, do what makes you happy, not what, you know, makes you money or mm. money doesn't bring happiness, all these sorts of things. And I, I feel like until you've been, you, you have to kind of come to that conclusion a little bit yourself and realize where do I sit on the continuum of money what, versus time. Money versus time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you've evolved then. You, you saw a good quality life as instead of like, having no time and an unreal like a 10 out of 10 car or house mm. or something having a bit of time and a decent car so like 7 out of 10 car 3 yeah. time or whatever yeah exactly and I think I think what it was was I kind of I, I realised that you can actually because another thing that they kind of tell you in banking is you know nowhere else could you make this money that you're getting paid and like to an extent that's true but also to an extent that's not true because you can do very well in industries that respect your time and your family life and your friends much more and so especially post GFC 
what they, the investment banks are able to pay people now is not what it was in 2006, yeah. where someone might give you know you a couple of years out of, or well, maybe let's say six or so years out of uni, they're giving you a million dollar bonus in Australia, which yeah. is crazy. You know they can't do that anymore, um, and so you can find jobs which maybe don't pay quite as much, but they pay you know a great salary, and they also don't expect you to be there 20 hours a day. Yeah, and they also know that you know you're going to have interests outside of work that are also important to you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just, I kind of decided that I was going to look at those other areas of my life a little bit more because I really felt like I'd neglected my friends, my family, and not like I still saw my friends a bit because I made a special effort to, but I was always tired when I saw them or whenever I saw my family, I'd be really grumpy yeah. um, or I was angry because I was had to go back to work in an hour or two. Um, and I kind of realised that that's not the person I wanted to be, Yeah, you know? That was a big thing for me was when I was in there, I'd look around the floor of, say, 250 people, mm. a lot of whom would be extremely wealthy. Mm. And to a young, impressionable 22, 23-year-old, that's a big mm. thing for yeah, them to be for really sure. wealthy. For sure. They're ticking the biggest box in my eyes. Yeah. But there was none of them that I would have said, yeah, I'd like to be that guy when yeah. I'm 40-odd or whatever. Exactly. And for me, that was a huge thing. I'm like, Even though he's that wealthy, I actually yeah. have no interest in, in being where he is. And so that, that was a big sign for me that, nope, I'm on the wrong path. Exactly. And I think if you, can, if you can't look at someone, you know, where you're working and say, I would love to be in that person's shoes yeah. in whatever time, two years, four years, 10 years, 50 years you'll probably don't have a long-term future yeah. in that business because, yeah, w- what's the point of having all this money if you're miserable? Or what's the point of being the happiest guy in the world if you can't send your kids to school yeah. where you want to send them to school? It's yeah. about finding that balance. And, yeah, I completely agree. When you can't see someone who you go, I'm, you know, I'd, love, I'd feel so happy if I was you, then I think you probably need to move on. Yeah, like if, so anyone listening, look around you wherever you are. Whoever's older than you in the same room, they're probably further down the path you're on right now. Mm. And if you don't like the look of what's further down that path, mm. then start looking at other paths and, and start thinking about that. Exactly, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the biggest, the biggest lesson because I think we all, you know, you're subjected to external pressure from, you know, not pressure, but you know, external influence from you know watching the news where they interview a CEO and you you think, oh, that guy's a shot caller, or yeah. you know, you look at social media and you see someone's on holidays in a beautiful place in the South Pacific and you think, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could do that? But um, I think until you kind of see people day in day out, whether that's at uni or at work, you don't know what their life's really like. Yeah, the day to day. Yeah, for sure. And you know, seeing almost anyone if you see them at their best you're probably going to want to do the best. Yeah. But are you going to want to do the 95% of yeah. what they have to do? And if you can't see someone whose day-to-day life seems enjoyable to you or whose you know, time away from work or uni is so good that it justifies their time at work, mm. then I think, yeah, you need to look look somewhere else. Yeah, I want to be a teacher half the time and take 12 weeks off a year, but I don't want to have to explain something to a five-year-old who cries because he doesn't understand it. Like, yeah, exactly. Everybody has ups and downs. Exactly, exactly right. And I think, you know, I can't imagine how good it feels if you're, you're a nurse or a doctor and you save someone's life. Like, nothing I'll ever do at work will matter as much as the yeah. one time a nurse, you know, say, resuscitates a patient. You yeah. know, they've done, in one day, they've done more than I'll ever do in my entire life. But the price they pay for having a job that is that fulfilling and emotionally fulfilling is, you know, they got to clean up shit, you <laughs> know, and they have they have to do a lot of other really hard things. Yeah. Um, 
so you know it's you everyone has to make a sacrifice in you know your job or your university and i think it's about finding the sacrifice that you can live with yeah the most i remember reading off i think it was mark martinson he said that everybody has to eat a shit sandwich and yeah. you just get to choose the seasoning or something like that. <laughs> yeah. so it's like yeah. you choose what kind of like glass you want if you want exactly and i think you know there are there are amazingly fortunate people out there who are genuinely passionate about something which is also a career yeah whether a business they run themselves or um you know a, a career path but i think those people are kind of few and far between and yeah. you might you get told to follow your passion um and i think you just have to be realistic about you know your passion and it's it may be your passion is working with other really intelligent people or other really nice people yeah and then whatever you do with those people who are nice and intelligent it might not be the your absolute passion day to day but being around those people you find super stimulating yeah. is great yeah so being around the people you're working with them mm. we've talked about that before how has that evolved like obviously yeah do you mean the pe- like how have the people changed or how has how my view towards it changed yeah um well, yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting. I think as you get older and as you spend a bit of time in, in the workforce, um, you kind of, I guess, just naturally develop a stronger sense of identity and self and you, yeah. you get more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. And so you're able to, I guess, make a, a more rational decision about what people you want to be around. And I think, you, for example, if I told you job A was a really good job and it was your first job ever, when you walk in there, you think that that is, that everyone there is really good yeah. because they're in a quote unquote good job or a good university degree or a good course or anything, you know, replace, replace it with anything. Yeah. You think that the people in that are great, but I think the longer you spend at work and trying different things, the more you realize that, you know, there's good and bad in different areas. And just because other people say that this is good doesn't mean that you necessarily yeah. find that to be good. I've never thought about that before. Yeah. But that makes perfect sense because, say, we're, and we we sound like we're slamming banking here, but we've both got experience. Say you go in there and everybody says, God, you've got a really good job, you walk in, these are really good people. Then you realise that they might have shortcomings in their personal lives or their home lives or whatever. Yeah. Then you go into uh, another, just like a shop, mm. and the place, the people aren't as intelligent mm. and it doesn't seem like they're as good people in as mm. good a job but they're all incredibly family-oriented yeah. and great exactly. friends to their friends and great yeah. brothers. Or they've got friends. a real sense of community in that office where yeah. they all hang out together and they get along great. I think, th- and I think to do the opposite to slamming banking, for example, a lot of people would say about, you know, traders especially, you know, they're cutthroat, horrible, you know, you, you couldn't necessarily trust them, all this sort of stuff, yeah. like they're going to sell you for a penny, all that kind of stuff. I think maybe you go in there and you experience it and go they're actually not that bad yeah. they you just know where you stand with them all the time and they're yeah. just direct people yeah. and i think you know i for one i enjoy working with direct people because i'd rather someone said you know get out of my face you're annoying me or said you know that's a good job because then at least i know where i stand i yeah. hate people who are like you know just say one thing and then they do something else yeah. and, you know so i think i think when we when we talk about it it's sort of you have to experience for yourself what works for you and and what style of peer and manager you like yeah and i think what you should know is if you're in a in a place where you don't feel like everyone else who's there and you don't like that culture chances are you won't do well yeah because Uh, it's because it's kind of there's obviously they're showing you this is how we like things to be done and it doesn't mean it's right or wrong that's just how they do it and if you find that you know just like uncomfortable for whatever reason 
you know, it's probably not the place for you. Yeah. Another thing, so I couldn't agree with that more. Another thing I think about is the values, the collective values of the place you're working in. So yeah. you were going to a bunch of, fl- a, a bunch of people on the floor. Hmm. If everybody's really interested in making money and you're not that into money, yeah. then your values might be a bit at odds with where you are and that might make you feel a bit uneasy. Or Yeah, and I think it, it, 100%, man, I agree with you. I think that would be clear as well because they will make decisions based on maximising profit yeah. and you're going to make decisions based partly on that but partly on you know maximising the utility of the people in the office or making customers happy. And if they don't care about making customers happy, all they care about is profit, you're probably not going to be doing what they want you to do. Yeah because that you've got a different value system. So yeah. yeah, it's trying to work out the value system of a place you want to go. I think that's a big thing. The, the, the day or the week I left Macquarie, I went mm. up to a guy who was a bit of a mentor that he'd been there for years and years. Mm. And I said I was thinking of leaving and I asked him what he thought and all that sort of stuff. And he asked me a couple of questions. He said like, where, if you stayed, where do you think you'd be on the team in like five mm. years? And I said, I don't know. It doesn't seem like much is gonna change, whatever. Like I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm. And he said, um, well, put it this way, if it's between you and another guy for a job mm. and he loves what you're doing and you only half like it, you're doing it for the money or you're doing mm. it because of the prestige, whatever, chances are he's going to get the job ahead of you because he's going to sail, you're going to come in at 9am, he's going to sail through 9pm, he's going to sail through 10pm, like you're going to fall off and Exactly, and he's going to be happy doing he's it because he wants it. to be there. He doesn't want to do anything, he doesn't no. want to go home, he wants exactly. to keep sailing through this. Exactly. And eventually, he's gonna, you, everyone's just going to fall away except for the guy who loves doing it. Correct, and I think that's such a good point because you, I, I remember also being told, that like my, you know, my dad always said this to me and a lot of people would say, they say, you know, do what you love and you know, the salary or the money follows. Yeah. Don't look for the salary and, and then hope to like it. Um, and what I, I thought at that time was, I kind of, you know, didn't dismiss it, but I was sort of like, you know, that's a little bit rainbows and unicorns where if what I love doing is playing Xbox all day, then, you know, if I, get, if I do it enough, I'll get really good at it and then I'll become a pro <laughs> Xbox player and I'll get paid to play video games, right? Yeah. Or, you know, replace that with any, any kind of fun activity that, you know, you like, you know, playing sport, whatever it is. And I, I, I realize now that that's not how they mean it. What they mean is, in order for you to be successful, you have to love what you do. Yeah, you really have to believe that. Because if you don't love what you do, you won't do what's necessary in order to be successful. Yeah. You won't put the hours in, you won't... I, th- I think about, you know, when I, when I was at Goldman's, I'd, I'd leave the office and I wouldn't think about finance or mergers and acquisitions until the second I walked back in the office because yeah. you know I found it interesting whilst I was there and it's you know an intellectual challenge and I you know I genuinely found it interesting but I'm not passionate about it I'm not sitting at home thinking about the best way to structure you know a, tra- a company transaction yeah. that's not interesting to me in and of itself but for some people they just don't and, want to do anything and else. that's the thing to some people it is and those are the people who are going to be rock stars yeah. because they think about it in their spare time because they're interested in it yeah and the same as you know some guy starts starts a business it could be anything he starts a, an electric like an electrician's business um a sparky if he's genuinely interested in you know, electrical engineering or, and things like that, he's going to think about ways to run his business better when he's not working because yeah. he's interested in it. Or if you're a teacher and you genuinely care about these kids, you're going to spend and you're going to go above and beyond to help the kids so that they achieve the right outcome. And so you're going to be a better teacher. Whereas yeah. if you get there at nine o'clock and then you start thinking about it, you're already hours behind the person who's been thinking about it all day. Exactly. And then there's, so that applies, I think, to everything from what I've learned so far. Mm. 
it definitely applies in sales where I, th I think a lot of people think it wouldn't apply then they'd be like no I can send sell sand to an Arab I'm going to be fine like no matter yeah. if two of us show up at a desk for a, for a sales job at 9am again and I'm a better seller than you but you're more passionate about the project mm. the product I'm probably going to sell better than you until 10 a.m. Yeah. Probably through 11 and 12 as yeah. well. Yeah. But then eventually I'm going to get sick of selling the same old lines. Whereas you're going to be like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 p.m. Exactly. I really believe in this shit. Exactly. Like I'm going to sell this all day because I really, really think it works. Exactly. Your passion for it is going to actually, absolutely going to outrun my ability to come up with words for or sure. whatever. You know? And I think if you look, at, you look at a lot of professional athletes and they're not necessarily the guys who are at, like freaks at that sport at 10 years old at 12 yeah. years old at 15 years old you know some people are going to be just outstanding their whole life but you look at the guys who've been most successful i look at u.s quarterbacks in the nfl like i, I like watching nfl and you know none of the none of the great quarterbacks first round draft picks you know and so even at the point at which they went professional in the sport they weren't considered the best in that position mm. in the sport and now you know look at tom brady he's a rock star absolute god of the game and it's because they're persistent and they must just love it. Yeah. He's for whatever he is, he's over forty and he's still playing. He's a stallion. Right? Man. Exactly. Like you've got about three new hips and four <laughs> new knees and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, they they just work at it and that because they love it. And I think someone might flash in the pan be better at them at a certain time, but you know, it'll fizzle out if you yeah. don't if you're not passionate about it. And now to the to the cynic listening, mm. for every Tom Brady there's a thousand guys just bloody like, I don't know. Yeah. playing brick somewhere in Boston. Mm. Even those guys, if they actually gave it a crack, gave yeah. them one thing a crack, I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing that they'd be a lot more fulfilled than the guy who just sold out and was just chipping away at a job he hates for 20 years, you know? For sure. I think if you're doing something that you enjoy, it's easy to get up every day yeah. than if you're doing something you don't enjoy, even if external factors are telling you that you're doing well. Yeah. Where, like making money or, you know, doing well within your field. Um, if you don't like it you're going to be miserable and the guy who's doing what he loves even if it's not paying well or even if he doesn't get respected by other people necessarily mm -hmm. if he loves it he's going to be so much more fulfilled than you are when did you start looking at internals versus externals I only got into mm. it like last year or maybe just before I left Macquarie I was thinking about it yeah it, it's interesting I think um, I've always been fairly like strong-willed sort of person and I kind of don't really like being told what to do <laughs> um, and so I think that evolved into me realizing that pursuing external validation is never gonna yeah never gonna work um i don't know yeah i don't know that i ever made a conscious decision about it or kind of read something that changed my mind on it i think it was more just the process of you know throughout school i liked portions of it but i hated portions of it throughout uni liked portions hated port most mm. of it you know work like parts of it hate most of it and it makes me realize that it's because you're just doing what other people are telling you to do yeah. and that's never going to make you happy. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, again, I never read anything on it. It just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of crept in. I just kept kind of thinking about it. And I think it comes down to what I was sort of mentioning earlier. Like, as you get older and more confident and more comfortable with yourself, yeah, you're cool. able to make that call. And I think it's dangerous for a 15-year-old to say internal validation is all that matters because you're only 15. Yeah. You don't have enough experience you know, you, you should be listening to what your teachers or your parents, um, you know, or mentors are telling you because yeah. they have more experience in the world. But as, and I think just as you get older, your, your need to kind of rely on a third party yeah. kind of reduces. Like That's you think about the old point. guy who sits on the bus and he doesn't care 
that you know he hasn't he hasn't shaved or he, yeah. he doesn't care that he's got bo because like what does your opinion of him matter <laughs> to this to him whereas when you're 15 you're so worried about that, yeah you know and it's just as you get older the, the need for it reduces yeah i actually geez that's a very good point because i would have i probably would naturally have said to every 15 year old you know stop caring what other people think but yeah. no it actually is good to take on that extra yeah. stuff i also think point. like i was pretty stupid at 15 you know like if, yeah. if i did whatever i wanted at 15 i probably would have made some you know terrible decisions so it was good to have you know a school being like you know uni's probably the next step yeah and, you know you have a university that kind of tells you what to do you got parents being like oh make sure you get a good job all yeah. that sort of stuff um and i think it's helpful i think it's always bad to care too much because you're the only person who can ever yeah you know say what makes you happy and you have a responsibility to yourself to be happy mm-hmm. um but I think you do need to take it into account, you know? Yeah. No, that's a really good point. But to the grads listening, or to those in their 20s, I would certainly start looking at internals as opposed to externals when making the big moves, like if you're quitting a job to go traveling or if you're choosing a different career, anything like that. Mate, I completely agree. And I think especially at uni, there's a, a real sense that, you know, you talk to people and they're all saying, you know, oh, I've got this summer job and then I'm going to do this. And you feel like if you're not doing yeah. that, you're falling behind and you've done the wrong thing. But I think... Um, you know, it's really important to not care what other people are doing, but yeah. just care about yourself Be and what you want to do. Path. Exactly, because if you're not comfortable in your own path, at 45, you're going to wake up and realise you're living someone else's life. Yeah. You're going to get divorced. You know, your kids are going to hate you. You're going to go, <laughs> go buy a Ferrari and try and drive around yeah. South America then. And I'll tell you what, mate, it's a, it doesn't make much sense at 45 to do that <laughs> as it does at, you know, 25. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. Um, right, look, unfortunately we're running out of time, but a couple of quick fires for you at the end. Um, yeah. Inspiring people you A, have met and B, haven't met. Okay, uh, inspiring people I have met. Uh, I won't say his name, but there's a, a guy I know, and I, I'm not, he's not a really great friend of mine, but he, um, he worked uh, at PwC and he had a really good job there. And he actually quit and started uh, a distillery here in Sydney making spirits. It was, I think, the first distillery they'd opened in Sydney in like 150 years. And what I found inspiring about it was not that he started a distillery, though I do, do, don't mind a drink, but um, it was just that he was doing something so different and it was something that he was clearly just really interested in. Like, yeah. you don't go into it to make money, you go into it because you love it. And I thought it was amazing talking to someone who just did day, day in, day out something that they genuinely loved. I yeah. thought that was really cool. I kind of see that not even as a business, but as an art. Yeah. Oh. He, he appreciates whatever, let's say he's making whiskey. He appreciates yeah. whiskey as an art. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they go into, he went down and learned how to make barrels from a cooper in, yeah. in Tasmania and they learn how to fire copper to make it. I don't know, man. They make the stills that they do. They, the copper, exactly. the, the barrels have a huge impact on the flavor. Apparently. Mate, yeah, yeah. I remember exactly. reading about it. I was like, what? Yeah. It's crazy. It's stuff. crazy. And so he, like, he's, like you said, it's true. It's like, it's an art. He's like an artisan. Like, he yeah. loves that stuff. And, you know, good on him. That's, that's really, cool. really cool. But I think he also has that kind of business background. So he's like, how do I make this a business yeah. that's going to support me rather than just a backyard hobby? Yeah. So but that's the same as a guy who paints pictures and knows how to sell. He goes, well, if I put it up like this in the market, then I think it's going to sell better. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It's bloody art and you're selling it. Exactly. And I think on that point, I was going to say the guy, someone who inspires me who I haven't met is the bloke called Eugene Tan who runs a business here in Sydney called Aquabumps. Right. And what oh, he does the photo is, guy. Yeah, he just goes down to Bondi every day and takes photos mm. and he like blows them up onto big pieces of Perspex or onto cardboard or whatever and he sells them for like five grand a pop. Yeah. And he literally, he just decided that I like going to the beach every day, I like taking photos. I'm pretty sure some other people would like to see these photos and he's made this awesome business out of it 
Um, but they're he's like just doing really what he famous. wants. They're so famous. Mate. I've got one at home. My parents bought me one for when I moved out. Um, right. As, as a sort of like, you know, a housewarming gift. Yeah. Mate, it's my favourite thing ever. It's so cool. It's just this picture of a wave breaking from right up close. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. And the guy literally just goes to the beach every day and takes photos. That's awesome. What a mad dog. <laughs> I love the uh, wave photography. Clark Little's a good Clark guy. Little yeah. is sick. Yeah. So he introduced me to it like on Instagram. Like, yeah. This is really, really cool yeah. stuff. Mate, it's awesome. You should you should look for. You, there's actually an email for him, Aquabumps. And he sends a daily email with just right, like okay. eight, eight or so photos and a little spiel. Jeez, good on him. Yeah, I love that. I think that's very very cool. And that's just what he enjoys doing. And he ended up doing well out of it. Again, he gave himself. He stacked the odds in his favour by doing exactly. something he wanted to do. Um, somebody you haven't met, or well, hey, you, that's him. Oh, Eugene, you haven't yeah, met. Yeah, haven't okay. met him. Yeah, fair enough. Um, book recommendation. Mate, book recommendation. For me, I reckon uh, really one I really enjoyed and I think has really got some good lessons in it, Liar's Poker, Michael yeah. Lewis, mate. I'm sure you would have read that. Yeah, I read that fucking yeah. uni, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess there's a couple of them that you read when you're going into investment banking yeah. and everyone tells you Liar's Poker, uh, Monkey Business. I haven't read Flash Boys. Oh, I've read Flash is, Boys. Is it's that good. good? It's really good, man, yeah. That sounds like groundbreaking. So this is about traders who have technology that picks up information. Is it what, like... Is it faster than the numbers Effect, can be Effectively, they, they, they read the signal and they can act on it before the signal gets to the other yeah. end. And so you've made your trade, but they are able to execute their trade before yours arrives yeah. so that they preempt your trade. That's crazy. Yeah, mental, man. And they're still doing it. They're still getting away with it and everything. Yeah, still getting away with it. Yeah, Michael Lewis is. He's a fascinating investigator. Yeah, I he mean, is. He, he's he's lucky to to partner his investigations with talented writing. Yeah, exactly. but his investigations are mind blowing. Yeah, he opens up some really cool things. But I mean, like for other people, for you know, his most famous one for the popular world would be Moneyball. So that Brad Pitt movie yeah. with Jonah Hill, he wrote the book that that's based on. Yeah, and did he do that other one that came out recently as well with the guy, the cool guy, Ryan Gosling? Ryan Gosling, The Big Short. No, Big Short. that wasn't. That wasn't. What wasn't that? I thought. Oh no, it was. It was him. It was him. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I was. Yeah, Big yeah. Short's an awesome. Yeah, he wrote that book, and he also wrote The Blind Side, the Sandra Bullock movie. No way! Yeah. I watched The Blind Side last night. Yeah, right. really. Yeah, well, yeah, mate. I think it's a great movie. Um, well, he wrote the book for that space. Right. So he's just an interesting guy, and I think he's really funny. He's really polarizing in investment banking because he worked as a trader, yeah, and then he quit. And there's all these traders who are like, oh, he just couldn't hack it. You know, and he just talks shit about in the finance industry yeah. because he doesn't make as much money as us. But you realise that he's actually just someone who's doing something that he enjoys, yeah. not something for the money. And yeah. he's made a great. He's probably career. made way more money off it than than he would otherwise would otherwise have. <laughs> Sorry. So so yeah, yeah, anything by Michael Lewis, but yeah, and Gladwell as well. Glad, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, I find really interesting. I disagree with a lot of his stuff. Um, yeah, but which I think, is a good thing. Yeah, but I think he's super interesting, and he just looks at things differently. The one for me that I really like is Blink. Um, and there's specifically a chapter in Blink about um, these US war games where some retired Marine Corps general or something took the opposing side and he just did all this stuff that the US force weren't prepared for and he absolutely flogged them. Yeah. And he was being Iraq or someone, you know, with no comparatively no military and just absolutely flogged the pants off them because he did unexpected things. Right. And I think that's really interesting because it's like that sort of shows you what's happened in you know our world like when google and facebook you know came out yeah. all the established media companies just weren't ready for yeah. it and the paradigm has shifted on them and they've just you know they're really struggling and netflix and uber netflix uber struggling. and then yeah. who's the next one you know, amazon's done it to retail like yeah. disruption and things like that come from you just looking at the same set of facts as other people mm. and thinking of a completely different way to act on yeah. it
And I think that's just really interesting. That's cool. And there's another part, I think it's at the very start of that book, um, he talks about gut reaction, sort of. So yeah. like the people who see an art, so like you're an art expert, and I say to you, look at this picture and like study all these different aspects of it. I give you a list and then mark it out of 10. Mm. You're gonna mark it, say you'll give it a nine, or you give it a seven or something. Mm. But then if I just show it to you as a blink and then you yeah. for hide it away, you only yeah. have your gut instinct to go off. You're yeah. gonna mark it better. Yeah, exactly. And not like you're gonna mark it higher, but you're gonna mark it more, more accurately. accurately. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he so talk, go with your gut sort of. Yeah, exactly. It's really, he talks about yeah how experts can make snap judgments yeah. on things without knowing why. And that they're worse yeah. off when they think about yeah, it. They're, they're better when just they to go. Try and think. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Super I, cool. I'm a big Gladwell fan as well. Yeah. I don't know how true it all is, some of the stuff he says, but... Yeah, he, he has some, like, um, they're, they're bold hypotheses. Yeah. But the fact that they're bold is what sells his books and, exactly. you know, that kind of... Gets and people talking. And I think there's n absolutely nothing wrong with someone no. offering an opinion on something, and even if you disagree, yeah. it makes you think about what you think, And right? it makes you have chats with your mates about it, and it's, exactly. you know, everybody wins, everybody exactly. gets smarter. So, yeah, read some Gladwell. But, yeah, huge fan of that, definitely. If you're into, like, real-life books, not stories... They're the two guys, uh, sure. Lewis and Gladwell, to start yeah. off it, for sure. Um, why did you get out of bed in uni? Uh, because I had to, or my parents would keep me out at home. Uh, <laughs> partly that. No, I think um, for me, uni just felt like a checkbox. Like you had to get through uni in order for your life to start. And so I just felt like I wanted to make sure that I didn't fill in the checkbox yeah. incorrectly. And I wanted to just get everything done the first time and give myself the best opportunity when my inverted commas life started yeah and i look back on it and i think maybe i missed out on some opportunities because i thought about it a little bit like that but um that's sort of what got me motivated it's funny i had the same thing i was like i'm just waiting for life to start waiting yeah. for life to start and, and you realize that is life yeah you're like, dude <laughs> this is the best bit yeah because then yeah. you get to work and you think oh i'm just waiting for retirement to start yeah. you know like when does it end yeah you, know, you have that's to appreciate huge, it in the moment that that kind of hamster wheel thing is a huge thing for a lot of people particularly in the world of finance where yeah you know, i'm just gonna wait till i'm 30 and have a house yeah. and wait till then yeah i'll is. work in here for two years i'll work here for yeah. four years i'll work here for five years and i'll buy a house and i'll go then i'll go do what i care about yeah if very dangerous trap to fall into exactly I, 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 this isn't mine this is someone else's someone said it's the biggest bet you can make <laughs> yeah. is to assume that you have that time afterwards exactly you're betting everything on you having four and who knows again. what's going to happen right? yeah um, I wouldn't I wouldn't take that bet at all no why do you get out of bed now um yeah I think now well, i got to pay a mortgage but um, yeah. <laughs> no um I think the, di the big difference between the, the what's changed for me between uni and now is you work and it sounds quite trite but you actually do work on a team you know at, in work and so I feel like I've got other people I'd be letting down if yeah. I didn't come in and I didn't do my best work and so I want to make sure that our team does well and I want to not let them down so I turn up and then the other thing is I still don't want to know what I want to do in five years time yeah so I want to make sure that I give myself every opportunity in the future and the way to do that is to do a good job today yeah and then that means I'm not closing any doors and I'm keeping you know options open so um you know, you, you would know as an ex-trader, there's a value in optionality. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, the work I do today is, you know, the price I pay for that optionality. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Give yourself as many options as possible. Um, two more. Mm. What's the change you'd wish to see in the world? Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, that's a really hard one. Oh, 
there's nothing like so when I think about it I think mm. obesity if that problem could just be solved yeah that seems like an un that just seems like a correction that should happen to a problem that is unnecessary but huge yeah for sure for sure that's that's that is a massive one I think for me like mental illness man like a lot yeah. of people struggle with things that they don't need to struggle with or they think that they're alone and you know especially like depression suicide things like that I think that we you know we're increasingly talking a bit about it, but I still think for a lot of lot of young men especially, yeah. it's something that people don't talk about and kind of you know in high pressure jobs, people might be miserable but they can't show it. Yeah. And I think that that's you know that's a really dangerous thing. Yeah, agreed, definitely. And then lastly, an um, inspirational quote that you've heard that were there. Has yeah. fired you up would fire these guys up a bit. Yeah, okay. Well, I don't know that it'll fire everyone up because I think you have to think oh. a certain way for it to fire up. But um, for me, the, and I, I don't, forgive me, I don't know the exact quote, but there's a Carl Sagan quote where he talks about, you know, you realise, you look up at the sky and you think that, you know, you're part of the universe, but you realise that you're just living on a small rock orbiting an insignificant star in the corner of a regular galaxy in a universe where there's more galaxies than there are people on Earth. And, you know, how small that makes you feel and for me some people look at that and think oh wow life's pointless but to me I look at it and go because my life is so insignificant I don't owe it to anyone except me so all that matters is that I'm happy and I'm doing what I want um, or me and when I say I I mean me or a very small handful of other people being yeah. my close family or friends so I don't owe my life to anyone other than myself and this yeah. is just what I believe um, so it's only on me to enjoy it and it's only on me to make the most of it so I don't I have no obligation towards anyone else because at the end of the day when I'm dead who's going to care yeah so all I, this is all I've got I may as well make the most of it and that's really inspiring to me some people find it depressing but I think it's like you know if you found out that you were some master race you know operating the entire universe to keep everything working you'd feel a sense of pressure on you to live up to that. Yeah. Whereas I feel like because, you know, I'm a flash in the pan, completely insignificant, all that I have an obligation to is, you know, to be happy. Yeah. And that's cool. I'd never even read Carl Sagan, but I'd, mm. I'm fascinated by that because it reminds me, it's very, very similar to a rant by uh, a character called Howard Rourke in the best book I've ever read, The Fountainhead. Have oh, okay, that? Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand, yeah. the best book I've ever read. Yeah, I've never read it, but I know I've read it, like read a lot about it. So I read it earlier this year, and mm. the, used to, my favourite book used to be Shantaram. It's yeah. very different to that, but Fountainhead is the best one, and yeah. a lot of business people have said it's the best one yeah. they've ever read as well. Yeah. I couldn't recommend it more. Yeah, for sure. But this Sagan chat is very, very similar to the, the character mm. of that as well. He starts a rap by saying, I don't owe anyone a minute of my time. The only reason you don't like me is because I don't report to you, unlike mm. you guys who report to each other, mm. like all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it's I, a very individualist it. way of looking at the world. Pure individualist, but yeah, I'm on board with that. I think yeah, and there's you know there's dangers with that, but yeah. personally, I think it's what makes because it, it makes me realise that I I do not owe anything to anyone else. The only the argument I have against it is so I'm I'm in line with ind individualism, but I'm also in line with servitude sort of as well and serving mm. the communities that you're a part of. For sure, but I think that the reason for that is not because I owe it an obligation, but because I realise as an individual it's better for me if I give back to the community and other people also do that. Why is it better for you? Because we live in a nice we end up living in a nicer place. Yeah, fair, yeah. But I don't think it's because I owe an obligation to my fellow people to do that for them. I think that it's better for all of us if we do that. Yeah. Okay. So you're still doing it, taking it from a selfish point of view. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If 
yeah, it opens up so many debates there. Like, yeah, you know, and I, I, we don't want to dive <laughs> into that too dive much. Into a lot. But no, I like that. I like that idea. Like, basically, the the summary I'm coming to is, even if you can convince people to do the right thing for the wrong reason, yeah, you're still getting still a better outcome. Right. For yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's probably right. Yeah. Fair. Well, let's take that offline. For <laughs> I hope Look, I didn't uh, offend too many people. No, there, not at all. That was great. That was really, really good. And thanks so much for coming on. Mate, thanks for having really me. It's good. awesome. Really awesome. cool. And great chatting these, to you. I love it. These guys definitely got something out of it as well. So thanks very much, guys. Until next time. Okay. I hope that episode was helpful for anyone considering mergers and acquisitions or investment banking in general. Um, and it should have been informative or at least interesting to, to any grad or any student out there given Ed's different ideas and, and perspectives and how they've changed over the years. So a couple of little takeaways I've taken from that. First things first, if you're a uni student or a graduate and you're thinking about getting into investment banking, the number one thing you have to be aware of is the commitment that it is. Uh, Ed said his first seven weeks he went without a day off. So he worked seven days a week for seven weeks straight. So, and each of those days would have been about 20 to yeah, probably about 20 hours. Um, so it re- there's no rest for the wicked. These guys do not let up. And as Ed said then later on, if you don't have work to do, they will always find work for you to do. They're working you to the bone um, into even poor mental health isn't, uh, isn't really an issue. And there's been a couple of cases about that actually in England in the past five to ten years. So... The hours are huge. The good news is the money's pretty huge as well. So a graduate in an investment bank in mergers and acquisitions who's doing those hours could expect to make on a base salary about 100,000 Aussie dollars straight out of uni. And as usual, the rule we'd apply to Ireland would be pretty much divide by two for uh, income comparison. So you'd make about 50,000 to 60,000 euros. That would be base salary. You'd probably get a bonus on top of that then, getting up to 120 or 65, 70 um, that would be my estimation. Now, in Ireland, there isn't many investment banks. So most of the guys coming out of UCD, Trinity, uh, DC or DIT, they all go to London. And there, you're looking for firms like Barclays, Morgan Stanley, HSBC, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. And then in, in Sydney and Australia, you'd be looking at all those names. Barclays and a few others don't quite have the presence, but You'd be looking at Macquarie Bank and Deutsche and UBS on top of that as well. So lots of banks there, lots of jobs there, very, very competitive, very hard to get into. Um, And as Ed said, you'd be doing about 10 interviews to get into them. So um, I actually might get someone else on to talk about the interview process a little bit more and, and the actual traits that they're looking for. But I know that they're definitely academically skewed. So on some of these episodes, we've talked about how, say, my friend who's doing the rowing, Tommy, that's going to help him get a job in a tech firm. I don't think that would help him get a job in an investment bank. That's not what they're into. They're looking for grades. They're looking for attention to detail, ability to use Excel, because that's what you're going to be using for 20 hours a day. Um, Problem-solving skills. These guys are very high intellect. As you probably sensed, Ed was by far the smartest person in that conversation. So these guys are, are very bright, very academically skewed. The problem, so you make a lot of money. The problem, there are a few problems going into this. A, it can affect your mental health, and that's a bigger issue than people are aware of. So when you're working these hours and it's such a high-pressure environment all the time, 
and kind of one-dimensional with regard to how much money you're making and how long you're working being the goals that people strive for, that can really affect your mental health, and I don't think a lot of people show it. So be, be aware of that. I mean, it's very glamorous saying you're making 100K a year, but it's not quite as glamorous when um, it's kind of eating away at you, as it does a lot of people. Now, that causes a lot of people to leave these jobs in their mid-20s after a couple of years. As Ed said, this can be challenging for them. They can go into great jobs, don't get me wrong. Um, but after a while, you can become even over-specialized and not be able to fit into what a lot of people in different industries and different companies are doing. So you end up being almost too niche to, get a, to, to make yourself easily employable. And a second issue then is nobody's going to pay you what the banks were paying you. They'll give you a better lifestyle and a nicer environment, etc. But you might have to uh, check your salary expectations if you're moving out of a bank like that. For me, personally, I talked about my, uh, my friend at Macquarie. Like, for me, I kind of see it as a, as a calling. Some people just love this stuff. They don't want to do anything else. They want to do deals. They have enough money to retire, but they just keep working 20 hours a day. The reason is they just get off on this stuff. It's their calling. It's similar to a doctor or a priest or anything. anyone who's doing something sort of niche. These guys, the, the people who stick with this and do really well, and as I said and as my mentor told me, the guys who can just do it while everyone else falls away, that's because it's a calling for them. Um, so good training for a couple of years, but you might notice, don't be upset or surprised if you notice a couple of years in that it isn't for you. And lastly then, um, he mentioned a couple of good authors and I mentioned a good book. So my favorite book I've ever read is called The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And it actually is particularly um, applicable to graduates because it tracks the career paths of one kind of cowboy architect who just does whatever he wants and um, is completely sort of true to himself. And then another guy who is a bit of an ass kisser and who uh, plays the game and, and that sort of stuff. So it can be very interesting. It would be very interesting as a graduate to read it and, and learn about what each of those paths entails. And then he mentioned Michael Lewis and Malcolm Gladwell as well. And as we said, if you're into factual reading, these guys are very educational and can tell you, in particular, Michael Lewis can teach you a lot about the cultures and um, different perspectives on, on the banking and finance industry. So as I say, hope was useful for you guys and looking forward to having an accountant on next week.